The Johnny Depp trial just verdict. Oh wait, do wait wait. So I've we, been like Wait, obsessed. what did it say? He won on all counts. Are you serious? And he has she has to pay him fifteen million dollars. Do you think she has fifteen million dollars? Probably. Um who knows? Probably not. Well, so he gave her seven million dollars for the divorce settlement or something. There's like some kind of settlement where she got seven million dollars. She literally went on a television show when she claimed all this abuse and said, I'm going to give this, I don't, this seven million dollars is dirty money. I'm going to give it. And she quoted two charities. She never gave it, right? Right. Which is, it's amazing to me how like bold she's done things public, like said big things like on public record that could just easily be checked. By the way, I think the real star of this whole thing is Johnny Depp's lawyer. 100. I don't know what her name is. Like, we're know? all just like hoping they get together. <laughs> it, wait, Johnny it, Depp and his lawyer. And the is, lawyer. That, is that what we're hoping? I'm hoping for that because she seems like a She's chick. unbelievable. She's unbelievable. Oh my God. She, but that scene where she's like, th there's that scene where she's asking about the funds. It's not a scene, it feels like it's like a movie, but she's asking like what happened to those funds. The what? The funds that she intended to oh, give to right. the charity. Yeah, yeah. And then Amber is like, well, I intend to give them. And the lawyer's like, no, no, no. Listen to the question. Yeah. Have you given them? Yeah. And she's Just like, yes well, no. I, well, I intend to. And she's like, no. Nope. Stop. Yes or no. Have you given them? My favorite, <laughs> I think her moment, like if there's a, a highlight was when they, in her closing argument, she said, if you... Basically, it's not just believing Johnny Depp. It's not believing. And she listed like 35 people. This deputy, these nurses, this attorney, like big credible witnesses. She's like, basically, you're saying no to them, not just Johnny. You right. Know? That was like that whole spill was. How are you consuming this? Are you consuming this on TikTok? Or well, no. Well, are you reading, I, like... my problem is I don't have court TV. Apparently, that's where all the juicy you could have watched every day. How do you get court TV? Is it like... I guess certain networks have it, I don't know. but I didn't have it. So. Basically, and I can't watch it during the day because I'm working, writing during the day, so I can't be watching it. So at night, I think there could be a great song. I would just like research or like there's podcasts that you can get catch ups, but I've been into it. Clearly, I think there could have been a great song. You could have taken like a sabbatical to watch this oh, trial 100%. for seven weeks. There's, it is a country song. I mean, this whole thing. The whole thing is. Yes, it has been one big country song. Uh, well, this is so exciting to have you in the studio. I'm a big fan. I've seen you play so many times. Perform. Yes, I've seen you play. Wow. I saw you play at the Basement East for, I think it was like a Yep Rewind. Oh, wow. This was years ago, I think. Did I do the climb, maybe? You did the climb. Here's what I want to know about the climb. When you sing the climb, it's always like this kind of like religious experience. Yeah. Does it feel when you sing it, like to us, it feels like so incredible and iconic. Does it feel like one of your best songs when you sing it? Or does it just feel like the one that had like this big pop moment? Yeah. Do you feel like it's one of your best songs? I think it's a really good song. Um, during that time though, I remember when I wrote that song or when it was selected, I had written so many songs that I felt like were as good. Like, yeah. I know that sounds strange to say now after it becoming the song it is, but at that time, I was so, like, kind of um, beat down by, you know, the journey of 10 years being here and writing songs that it was just another song. It was another song that just went into the vault. Yeah. You know, 
So um, there's that. So I don't necessarily st- sit up there and go, this is amazing. I'm, you know, But what I do think that's fascinating about when I sing it is what it means to me when I sing it versus what y'all, what it means to y'all. Because for me, it was just like a self-help, like kind of a um, pep talk to myself, you know. You can almost see it, the stream you're dreaming. There's a voice inside your head saying you'll never reach it. I was just writing it to Nashville, to myself that wanted to give up at that time. And so what's fun for me is to see how it's someone's marathon song. It's someone's, it was uh, President Obama's inauguration song, you know, all these other things. So that shows me, like, the weight of the lyric. But for me personally, when I sing it, sometimes I still sing it like, when I get discouraged, I still sing it to myself, like the way I wrote it. Looking back, though, do you think among the, the songs that you had yeah. at that time, does it feel like it was superior to some of the other songs or just so having that kind of fit the plot of this movie and then it sort of took off? Yeah, I, I can't say for sure. It was a 10 amongst sixes. I think there, that I thought it was an eight and I had other eights, you know? Um, I definitely, when I wrote it that day, didn't walk out of the door and be like, I just changed my career. I do think, though, um, I don't know if you know the story behind the actual inspiration of the song, but that morning I was driving into work. Yeah, and, you were just kind of humming the melody, right? Yeah, and, and like I do know that I felt um, a whisper, uh, some kind of voice in my head saying, stop, listen to this. Uh, this is important, and the word classic came over my even so much that I thought, is this Islands in the Stream? Is this, I kept thinking, what song is this? It felt classic. The word classic came to me. Um, but other than that, like, you know, like I said, you know, there's so many 10 years of writing before that. Right. So why would I think this song's any different? Isn't it, wasn't it originally called It's the Climb? Correct. And the It's got dropped, which is kind of like a it's, Facebook moment. And it was, I remember <laughs> when the director and the head of Disney approached us on rewriting the lyric for a 15-year-old, because there was a little bit more mature. It was a little right. more spiritual, and um, they had like prayers and like a couple other uh, things like that. And also, they wanted it to be like The Climb, and they were using songs like The Rose, and the road, the, like just thematically, I think they liked the the way the title. I was like, I don't care what you call it. I don't. I will rewrite anything. Just yeah, please. Is it just a better title though? The climb versus it's the climb. For sure, it is kind of better, right? And but it's subtle. Like it, what, it's just shorter. Is that what makes it better? Exactly. And I think we originally had it. You can almost see it. That's why I said that earlier. You can almost see it. That dream you're dreaming. Whereas Miley said. I can almost see it. So it was more like third person. I remember, and actually, John May, my co-writer, he sang um, one of the male versions of the demo. So I mean, that's how far fetched. It wasn't like I thought. Oh my gosh, this song sounds so Miley Cyrus, right. so Hannah Montana. I didn't even have kids yet, so I didn't know really what they would want. Um, so it's just so. Um, it's a tip to the tip of the hat to my publisher at the time that convinced the director to come to Nashville while they were here uh, scouting for locations for that movie. She got him over to our office and she thought if we, if he could ever hear these Nashville songwriters, bluebird style with a six pack of beer, 
he will understand why we don't need to go to L.A. for songs. We've got songs here. And uh, his name is Peter Chisholm, the director, and, and we really hit it off. And I think I liked his accent. He liked mine. And so at the end of it, he was like, put some songs on the CD for me because I love your voice. And I remember thinking, gosh, I'm a, this is my moment. If I'm ever going to pitch to this um, movie, this is it. And Wait, I, did you think that? Because I've heard you say in endless interviews, you've said, this yeah. doesn't happen to a girl like me. And at every yes. point, someone was saying, like, it's going no, to radio, it it's will. going this. But you kept saying, this will no. never happen. Right. But you kind of thought in that moment, well, like, I just this thought, is a moment. You know, this the moment is I'm never going to see this guy again. Yeah. And he really likes my voice. Maybe he'd even use me. He had uh, directed movies like Serendipity, and he had really good, has great taste in music. So... I thought maybe he's gonna just you know keep in touch or something like that or like but but I am a songwriter enough to or a business person enough to know whatever songs that are on this CD this is a pitch you know right and so um, when he called me a couple weeks later and sounds like you already know the story and was like I want to rewrite the movie if you'll rewrite the song you know it's just I remember thinking he just doesn't he's because we brought him in the back door. You know, he doesn't understand that that this it's not this isn't the way it's gonna go. You know, I was just so beat down by that point. But what does that mean that he didn't understand that it wasn't the way it was gonna go? Because it just at, feels at like point, someone um, in LA... at that point, I had not seen a miracle happen. Right. I'd not seen the power of, uh, like something crazy like out of the blue. Like up to that point for my my journey, those ten years for me were uh, certain people were just charmed or certain. People just were, the gatekeepers would let them through easier. My particular journey was just a lot harder. You know, things didn't just fall into place, like, out of nowhere. Right. Especially out of L.A. I didn't even grow up listening to pop music. Knew nothing about uh, pop radio or adult contemporary, you know. Um, so it it felt bizarre for a girl like me to get the song for that slot. Right. I think it's weird that I've heard you mention, so, like, the song gets cut, it blows up, and you, you've you said that it was then, you thought it would have been easy to keep writing in Nashville, and you thought your Nashville career was going to explode from there, yeah. but all these A&Rs were kind of like, oh, there you go, like, that's, that's what you should That's what you do. should have been doing. But yeah. this doesn't make any sense to me, Jesse. I think if you have the biggest song in the world, anyone would be lining up to write with you, and I also think that, like, in Nashville today, isn't everyone kind of looking for that crossover hit? Like, was it a little yeah. bit of a different environment? or like? I think it's just because it wasn't one of our own. It wasn't like Carrie Underwood crossing over or... Um... Even Shania, Reba, you know, Miley Cyrus, even though she was, you know, she was raised here, she was definitely out of L.A., you know, right. and through the L.A. market. So um, it was it did not seem like a crossover out of Nashville. And, it, and there those uh, Nashville didn't really have its fingerprints on it. This really came through the Disney franchise, you know, um, film and television department. So yeah, it was it was a shock to me. It was a shock to everybody else here. Um, but I I, I don't want to undermine the people that had belief in me for so many years. You know, that gave me my first publishing deal. So I don't want to make it sound like it was a complete surprise to everybody. I know there were people that were in my corner, but you know, I had really been kind of kicking around for a little while um, and had to make some big transitions. You know, I was an artist um, that got signed at MCA that folded into Mercury that folded into Sony that got folded into another part of so like 
by the time my record came out and I was pretty much done, it was like a four year period of, of one album. Right. And so once that was over, I had to rebrand myself and a figure out, I knew I wasn't going to be an artist anymore. That was a, a clear decision. Um, I knew that that wasn't what I, what I wanted to do, but I really wanted to write songs, but everyone had already thought of me as a recording artist. So you can imagine those first years of, no, 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 I'm not here to write for me. I want to write for Billy Currington. You know, they really look at me right. like, why? why? You, you know, didn't you have a record deal right. or whatever? So, and I think you've probably heard me speak on this, but there is a little bit of a categorizing in our town as like, you're a sideman. You're a producer. You're a songwriter. It's just... Um, I think sometimes we all have trouble going, wait a minute, you're a song plugger and you write for film and television or all those things. So it's gotten a lot better. But at that it is time, weird. there's like something that yeah. Nashville kind of wants to put you in a box and yeah. it's very uncomfortable with you doing different things. Right. Yeah. Which it's, is interesting. Yeah. Do you have like when you're writing now, are there people that you'll write with who are maybe a little you know younger than you and maybe they are getting out of the artist thing and they're trying to transition into that writer thing and maybe looking up to you? Like, do you see yourself in other writers that you're writing with? Now, doing the same or maybe going through that yeah. journey i do it's funny because they don't even really talk about it and i have not brought it up but but you know i know and i also know that the grind and how hard it is and like there's there's people that i write with that i'm like oh my gosh you uh laney wilson dirk Bentley, luke combs um miranda lambert i mean them just just the first people i'm thinking of those people could absolutely dominate songwriting they they could just just stop i mean they um obviously their their careers have gone on to to uh, be you know big artists but like there's people like that that i write with i'm like gosh you you can keep chasing it you can keep going out there but if it doesn't work out for you you've got you could be in the hall of fame you know you're that good the songwriting pool is just seriously stout talent yeah, it's the best of the best. Yeah. One of the songs that I love of yours is David Ashley Parker from, from Powdered Springs. Springs. First of all, this title's out of control. <laughs> and this was a real guy, but his, yeah. name, his name was a little different, Ashley right? Ashley David Parker. It was Ashley David yeah. Parker. But does Travis bring in this idea of like a song about an ID that he found or like, yeah. like how did the song get written? exactly what he said. He was um, like, yeah, yeah. We were tossing out ideas um, and he just was like, I've always wanted to write a song about my fake ID, and um, he explained to us that it was David Ashley Parker, or Ashley David Parker, and just for singability, I can't remember who decided on that, but it just sang, it sang better, and we had just so much fun. I mean, the writing that song was just, I love a long title, you know, and I love um, kind of looking at a, we always talk about pitch sheets or like charts or whatnot, and you just think, Wow, what when you hear a title like David Ashley Parker from Powder Springs, it makes you want to know what that's about, you know. So I like it's just like a book when y'all are people are walking in the bookstore and you see a bizarre title. It's like, what does that mean? I want to read it. Right. So it was so fun. Um, and I think when I'm writing songs, I actually think about it a lot like that. If you're walking down through the and you're looking at titles, what what interests you, you know, that and is, how, and how quick title. How quick can you um, get into the meat of the story? And it's not a um, like it's not it's not you don't think it's about what it's about when yeah. you, you think it's about something else. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's any other song about a fake ID kind of thing. There's I nothing. Know. There's and nothing I, we kept like thinking, that. why is there not? You know, it's like we all have that story. And one of my favorite parts of that song is just embodying somebody else. Like 
it's like almost like Superman's cape. Like when you've got that idea, you know, you, I imagine that Travis or the character that we were writing about had just had more swag and like got all the ladies and like I could just see uh, the the video where like someone slides the beer across, you know, at the at the gas station. Just this like Fonzie type, yeah. Um, Johnny Depp or whoever, and or actually McConaughey was a big muse for me in that song. Um, and so I love that when he's got that idea, ID, that's really his persona. And he got the actual guy in the music video yes, to, to like, which was so fun. Which was so fun. But wait, so he brings in the song idea, which yeah. is like, you know, okay, Ashley David, David Parker. Parker. And I don't know that we had from Powder Springs, but but quickly we were like, yes, let's from all do Powers. the and big the big title. The big title. Yes. And then do you start going through like the first verse and trying to figure out, okay, like what, how does he find the ID, which is kind of what the first verse is about. Yeah. And you start just sort of crafting the story. Is that how that song gets written? Yeah. And I think this is where like collaborating is, can work or not. Like, because just by the couple minutes we've been talking, you can probably see how visual I am. Like when you give me that title, I immediately, this was the same with I Drive Your Truck or Mine Would Be You. I have a whole video in my head. I can see the truck. I can see the guy. Um, at that time, I literally could see, I don't even think about Travis necessarily, it's this other character. Where things get sticky with collaborating is what if my two writers didn't see the same? You know, luckily that day we we're all like, yes, David Ashley Parker from Powder Springs, November 20, you know, we started using dates and um, uh, five foot nine, all those details. What if the other people didn't? I don't think we should use details. That's where you can see how a song can shift the the energy of the songwriting process but that day we were just we all saw the same guy and uh you just we just went to town on it i i don't know if it was verse first chorus first um i know it was written very quick and with my husband which is really neat we don't write um a lot we've probably just like a handful of times a year but our odds of getting quality songs like that or songs recorded are really great. I think because we don't write a lot, and when we do, it's it's really exciting. Right. How do you end up meeting Travis? Like, did your publisher put you in a write with him, or did you? Like, I actually stalked Travis. You stalked um, him. Yes, I have I have people that I've stalked, um, and it's usually so random. I'll, I say it's random and coincidental, but um, I'm very much a believer, and and also believe that you know no, nothing's uh, by accident. But we were moving into. Uh, our house and um it was one of those deals where we didn't have cable yet it's like rabbit ears and I was I remember I was putting dishes away and so I just had like one of those random local stations so it wasn't like ABC NBC CBS it was like another something I would have never seen courtroom TV oh yeah. no we don't have that either <laughs> I wish we had that <laughs> yeah it was just like some random Nashville local station and I'm I, I literally heard this voice that just shot through me um like whoa who, what is that and I like put the boxes down and I'm like walk to the, and I see him in his his ball cap and his um I immediately thought his voice sounds a lot older than he is and his his energy great guitar player and I was like whoa I I just really like and I remember texting my publisher who is this guy and I actually have in my phone like Travis Dent Denon or something like I didn't even write it right because I'm like didn't catch it I didn't catch his name but I texted her I was like who is this guy and he had not gotten a publishing deal yet or a record deal or anything like that but I pursued that and I tend to do that um, a lot of my 
collaborations even now, believe it or not, are, are people like that. It's it's not always just, oh, you've got a record deal now. My publisher brings – like it's – a lot of times I'm like, who is this person that wrote this song on this random album? And I'll just kind of uh, stalk them. And then, like, will you go through your publisher to reach out? Or will Typically, you, like, DM them on just Instagram? Just because, I, yeah, I'm not very tech savvy. And, I mean – for sure, every now and then um, I might <laughs> slide into a DM about, but typically that's kind of freaking if, young artist out or young writer. If like Jesse Alexander <laughs> slides in their DMs, like that's that's a game changer. <laughs> and I've done it. I mean, I'm I definitely have, but I, my brain works so fast and I'm running constantly that in my mind, if I send it to my publisher, she'll go make it happen. She'll make it happen because I've already moved on to the next thing mentally. I'm just bam, bam, bam. So uh, I feel like it it's, will ensure that it'll actually happen if I do that. But yeah, I mean, he'll probably, I mean, if he was here, he'd probably tell you like, I apparently I was on his wish list. I didn't know that, but he had like a top five song, songwriters that he wanted kind of a wish list and I was on it. So that's why I say I don't really believe in accidents like that. Um, and another one, a big one, uh, maybe probably the biggest one of my career is a songwriter named Chase McGill. Same thing. I'm I'm on a golf cart. Me and Ashley Monroe, we're in Mexico. I'm on the back of a golf cart, and she's playing me on her phone, like just playing music because the guys were driving and riding. And um, she was playing. She's like, I, I love this new Kenny Chesney song. This is probably 2014, 2013. I don't know. And she plays me a song called Donut. I, I don't know why. It's the same feeling I felt with Travis. It was a full body. What is that song? Wait a minute. Wait, play that again. I remember we pull over. I'm literally on on a curb in Isla Mujeres, Mexico, listening to that song again. Who are the writers? And there are two people I've never heard of: Chase McGill, and um, I just lost the other Brent, Brent Cobb, the amazing Brent Cobb. And uh, same thing. I just I he didn't have a publishing deal. I didn't. I mean, he had that was his only cut, you know. Yeah, right. And I called my publishers. I was like, I need to write with both of them. I need to write with this check. And I. Chase said, he tells the story that I went out and found where he was playing a writer's round, stalked him, and went up to him. I was like, we have to write. So I'm just very moved by songs, I guess. It doesn't have to do with anybody's success or, you know, where they're at on the chart. I don't care about any of that. Um, I want to ride on inspiration, and that's a big attraction to me in the room is like, wow, there's something there. I feel that. I know it. And I used to um, kind of disregard it, but now there's been too many of these coincidences. Where you just have an instinct like, that guy's a good songwriter, or there's yeah. something special with that person. And it's person. not even like we're going to have success together. It's more like we have something to write. I know it. Like, I know that there's something that's going to align with you. Me and you have a baby to make, you know, there's something that's, um, between us and I'm sure they're like, you're a crazy person. But, um, and now look at Chase, like here we are almost 10 years later and we've just had the biggest part of our careers together with the Morgan Wallen and then, um, don't think Jesus and then never say never with Cole. We had our first number one together. So yeah. it just shows you how the, over these last 10 years, I could have been like, Oh, that was crazy. Why did, you know, why did I chase that? And he could have felt the same way about me, but Whatever that essence is, is there. The Morgan Wallen song is so beautiful and so amazing. Thank you. And I feel like it, it, he's putting it out at a time where he's trying to basically 
I, I don't want to know if like he's trying to paint an image of himself. It feels like with that song and with a lot of the music that he's putting out right now. Were you thinking about that? About like this is going to brand an artist. Whoever cuts the song, like this is going to really say something about that artist, right? Like you have to be thinking about that when you're writing a song like that, right? I mean, I definitely think in terms of what does this artist need, because I and I get very few times to take these shots. So I want them to count. So obviously, if they've if they've you know recorded three duets for that record I'm not going to want to write another one you know or right. you know I, t- I try to give them a tool that they need to work with and so yes to answer your question I was absolutely like gosh I wish I wish somebody would write a song for him about this topic so wait did you write the song for him yes yeah absolutely and I'd been obsessing for the months before it if I could ever write a song for him about this what would it be now that's hard when you don't know someone intimately like i know morgan um definitely you know uh as a buddy but like i don't know you know his heart his i wasn't there for those conversations so i'm really putting words in his mouth but i do know um enough about his character um i know his dad you know as a preacher i knew uh, i i feel like i know who uh, where his heart was and and my fellow co-writers felt the same so you're just taking a swing in the dark you don't know that you're going to get it right but at that point you just come up with the idea and the concept and then you just try to write it to the wall and it, it's like a it's basically an outfit it might fit them and it might not and you have to be okay if if it doesn't so yeah um I definitely try to play to win when it comes to like the the Cole Swindell number one that was on the back of a tour bus um he had Lauren Elena out on the road that uh, tour, and I said, "Gosh, it's weird. You you should have a song. You sing with her or someone. You've never done a female. It's so interesting. Like, you've never had a female. You did you did a song with Dirk Bentley, but you've never done one with a female. So immediately, I was like, "What what kind of duet would Cole sing? You know? So I do think in those kind of terms. Were there other Morgan songs that you had written like that, or was the way I the- talk? Uh, was just a cold, me and uh, Chase McGill and Ben Hayslip just wrote that, just a, a day. We do try to write songs that are kind of a cast a wide pitch because we could have, we felt like, you know, Aldine could have sang that or Luke, Luke Bryan could have sang that. Obviously, Morgan was the perfect person for it. But, you know, I would say it's 50-50 of my life. Like, there's some days that I'm just writing a song, you know, and then 50% is like, okay, Lainey, what do you need? What do you not have? You know, or whoever. Right. Yeah. Do you have more success with one stay in mind the other or hard to say? Like, does it end up that when you just go in with no agenda, you get a you get a bigger song? Or are you actually better off saying, hey, what do you need? Let's craft to that. I think it used to be more just write a great song. But now there seems to be so many more, like, I don't know. I don't want it to sound too strategic or anything. There's just a lot more involved. It's not just write a song and the plugger, you know, there's there's just a lot. Um, producers involvement, publishers involvement. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd, I'd say it's more, it's a little bit more of me like casting. Okay, if I really wanna get on this record, how do I make that happen? What, what, what kind of co-writers will help me write that kind of song? Um, but then, you know, I, I believe in the magic of songwriting and I mean, like I said, The Climb, my biggest song, 
I did not go in. Was a Ren for right. So, right. you know, I'm not gonna be all um, business and politics and stuff like that because I definitely leave room for the magic. When people say that you're in like an artist camp, like people always mm-hmm. say you're in the Blake camp, probably the Dirks right. camp, like there's Travis Dangs. Yeah. Is that kind of just because those are artists who have cut your songs and trust you? Do you feel like, are there any artists that you're in the camp of who have maybe like never cut your songs? For sure. For sure. I mean, And they know, just say it's going to happen. Like if I just hang in there with Jesse, I mean, we're like, going to get there. Yeah. I, or it's not that transactional most, pe- most people that I write with a lot eventually, you know. Um, I think what people don't realize about Nashville and songwriting community is like how, gosh, I mean, I love Luke Bryan. I think he's awesome. You know, we, we would sit and have a beer together and just be buddies, but like, doesn't mean he has to record my songs, you know? So, um, camp wise, yes, there's definitely people that like you've worked like Blake's a great example. Like we've been, we've been doing this for so long, but you know, his camps might change. Um, and ebb and flow and you know or my my uh direction changes my focus you know but there are definitely times that I'm like gosh I really wish I could figure out a way it's not even in that camp it's just in that I just want a shot right you know I just want to somehow get a shot um and I'm the kind of person when I really care I really care and if I don't I don't at all it's you not know? gonna happen yeah it's just like I let go um What's it? So it was just, I think it was just announced today that you just re-upped your deal with Warner Chapel. Yes. So very exciting. Yes. What are you looking for in a publisher? Is it someone to just, you know, man the calendars, be on the lookout for new artists, constantly fighting you, pushing your songs? I mean, that's sort of what publishers do. But is that what you basically look for? And did you feel that, you know, that was the best place for you, I'm assuming? You just said a lot of the big ones. Um, for someone that's got a lot of plate spinning with kids, um, you know, I have three children and try to be pretty active in their lives, you know, with a lot of activities. I have to have someone that's like, oh, my gosh, this person has to cancel next week, but we're on it. We're, we're going to plug we're in somebody else. Right. There's I, no I, days off. I couldn't do that. Like, I, those days of me being able to do that are over. Um, but then you have to think about they're also like your therapist, you know, like, oh, just had a horrible right. I feel like the worst writer you know I go through bouts of that or is my career over who knows you know there's so many things but so there's some emotional parts to being a my publisher someone that works with me um I think uh, inevitably like the big one though is like my work ethic's pretty high and as long as I know that they're working too like we're all good you know it's like that's that's kind of how it's like I'm I'm on the court like uh you know trying to to get the ball in the hoop it's like i just want to know you're watching you're with me you know right. direct direct me when i need it um i have a lot of trust in what happens after i write the song because i'm so forward thinking so once i turn in the song i'm i'm on to the next um every now and then i'll obsess about a song but typically it's like okay y'all have it now Go work your magic. And I would say most aspects of my life, I'm very much like I do my job. You know, I try to let people do their job, you know, so right. that's um, kind of where it is. But I mean, there's yes, keeping their ear to the ground. Who's the next? Not even new thing, because, you know, I, I could I could spend every day. Tr- and I mean, my day, my calendar would be so packed if I was trying to write with every single TikTok, Spotify, find XM, Highway Find, 
plus all the artists that are signed daily. I mean, I would never sleep. What I need is the precise honing in, like, no, Jesse, this is really something I can see that you would be you'd be a great fit for. This is something special right here. Yeah. Would you ever consider selling your catalog in the future? Because, you know, this is like the big trend right now. To me, it seems like I couldn't sleep at night if someone else had my songs. But people are doing it. Everybody's doing it. I, I did actually sell some songs. I've yeah. not sold like full catalogs. And how'd you feel afterwards when you uh, signed on the paper? I, I, I'm still feeling it. <laughs> I don't know how I feel yet. I think I feel good um, because, you know, you don't sell it all. You still have right. portions. I'll never sell the climb, so you know my kids. They know that that that's a piece of land they can fight over one day, or whatever. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't get really wrapped up in the money part of all this, and um, sometimes I wish I did. It'd make my life sometimes a lot easier if things were just black and white about money. But I keep looking towards the future of like, okay, that's I did that. What's next? I just want to build more. Um, what made you sell and the portion of the songs that you did? I think it just, like you said, everybody's doing it. It's like, what? Well, yeah, did you feel like uncool? Yes, for, kind of uncool. <laughs> for not selling your yeah, songs? Like, really? Why no, am I is not that, selling? Everybody really? Is, no, I mean, no, that no, wasn't no. the main motivation. Um, I think it just was something that me and my business manager and um, lawyer, and we just kind of came to. Um, it wasn't something I needed to do or had to do. I'm fortunate. But um, it, like I said, it was such a small portion. It wasn't like a big catalog or anything that I felt like this is a little safe first step in seeing if I even like doing this. Right. Have ba- you ever baby steps? Have you ever thought about starting your own publishing company, or maybe you have one? I but- don't have one. Um, I am definitely not business minded. I would absolutely have to have someone would have to run the whole thing. You know, I'm not uh, that kind of person. But I had. Do you feel like I do a fair share of mentoring and have mentored um, in the past MTSU students and uh, Belmont student? And I have a heart for that. I think right now, like, I'd give so much of that part of myself to my kids that it's, like, not something I can do a lot of. But I think in the future, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to to sign a writer and kind of help develop them. Right now, it's like it's hard enough managing. I'm just like getting, yeah. I'm just it's hard enough managing just, Jesse Alexander. Just getting here, yeah. I'm just, just getting, getting here. here was, yeah, was hard enough. I took the songwriting class in college, and the only the the class was if you wanted to get an A in the class, you had to write thirty songs. Whoa! And if you wanted to get a B, you had to write like twenty five songs. Or and then he like okay. broke it down. He, he was like, down, yeah. he was like that was the only agenda in this class. And I'm not a songwriter, but I wanted to take a songwriting class to kind of see what it was about. And those were the only 30 songs I've ever written in my life was was in that class. But is that, if you were to teach a songwriting class, is that how you, would, would you tap into that? Because it's, I mean, it's the repetition, right? I would, yeah. I think that people don't like our answers when they ask most songwriters, like, you know, what, what do I do now? And we're all like, go write more songs. Write you more know, songs. It's like the last thing someone wants to hear. Like, but I've written 30. It, well, I've written 300. Yeah, this year. I wrote not, not that many, but I mean, right. I've written a lot. You know, it is um, unfortunately a lot like, you know, playing the slots or lottery or whatever. It's it's odds, I think. That's at least from my perspective. And the more you get hung up on a song, I think it can stifle the growth of the next song. It's like you just got to keep moving. Just 
keep writing. But yeah, that is an answer I don't think people really like to get. Is the repetition. The repetition. I think it was, was it uh, Harlan Howard, I believe, one a legendary, amazing songwriter uh, that said, keep your pencil sharpened. And that's probably one of the, you know, top three quotes of songwriting I live by. Um, but that's my way. I definitely know that there's other writers that are like, hey, I it's better for me to take three months off and I come in fresh. Or, you know, I only run or write two days a week. Everybody's so different. I do you, just, if you take three months off, do you feel like you're rusty when you come back? I I wouldn't have never taken three months <laughs> off. But I feel like for me, the blue collar clock in, clock out is best for me because um, I guess I like that structure of like walking in. I, I mean, I don't get to do this anymore because we're writing with so many people all over the place. But in my like dream world, I would go to one place, walk in the door, same time, write a song. You know, it's kind of like the same environment. It reminds me of when I was, you know, kind of growing up, I worked in factories, I worked at Subway, I worked at Sears. I mean, I had a million jobs and I like, I like the community of an office or the same building, all that stuff. But um, it is fun to break it up and go to different places, but I definitely, for me, when I can have a week like that where I'm doing the same kind of consistent, I'm just on a roll, you know, one of those four or five songs, probably pretty good, you know, whereas the, the there's a little bit of anxiety of, wow, I've never met this person. I've never been to this place, you know. Now, sometimes that anxiety can crop of a great Create song. A song. Create a song. I would imagine though that you could probably call the shots and people could just come to any room that you say. Is it the other <laughs> co-writers so. well, we who work, get in the way? We work and, so uh, much with people that have equipment, like production equipment and um, track tracks. Eye. Right. Yeah. That. So, um, which by the way, um, I really enjoy. Uh, I enjoy that too. It took me a hot minute to wrap my head around it at first when it kind of came through Nashville. It was because it was such an LA thing. But when, uh, but now, it is can be so creative and so much fun. And I'm blown away by some of their talent um, and just how you can walk away at the end of the day and feel like you have a record. Something sounds like a record. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. I was at um, Stagecoach a couple of weeks ago and uh, Lee Bryce was playing. Yeah. And um, it is such a moment in his show when uh, Drive Your Truck comes in. Yeah. You feel it. like. I like he put on an amazing set, but he was like later in the day because he's like more of a headliner and it was so hot and everyone was like so (laughs) mopey. And when that song came on, like the middle of a set, it just like completely changed the energy. Like everybody was singing along and like brought them back to life, even though it's like a little bit of a slower song and it's a little bit of like, a you know, it can definitely get you in your feels. But like you you have to have seen this happen at at one of his shows. Right. Like it's it's crazy how like the song can do that. Right. Man, it, that song is just, it's so special to me um, for that reason. It's just, it's like, it's a hammer, you know? It's just like, out of nowhere, you can this and it, it, I feel it the same way that they feel it still. I mean, when I sing it live, I'm just like, there's nights I can't sing it. I mean, you're just like, whew, this is heavy, you know? We, we touched that nerve. That nerve had not been touched, I don't think, a lot in country songs, and Lord knows, you know, my background, I had lived that idea, as had um, Connie. So it was just so pure and authentic for us. And so it just, it makes me feel so good to know that other people are feeling it the same way. Yeah, I was listening to it last night, 
and I feel like like you listen to a song so many times and you mm-hmm. can get kind of numb to it. And I was listening to it last night. I was like, oh my god, this song was <laughs> killing me. And I just come out of Top Gun two uh, and i was emotional about that and then i listened to the song i don't know for some reason they connected with me and i was yeah. like oh my god the song is so good obviously um it, so is it true going back a little bit shifting gears mm-hmm. is it true that you had asked your dad for a bass guitar yes and he brought him a six-string acoustic guitar correct. from a pawn shop right correct so if he had brought home a bass guitar would you have been like a bass player maybe i, I is mean that, that would have been awesome is that what happened um so yeah it has it was, I think, my 10th or 11th Christmas, and, and he, he was like, you're going to have to learn an instrument. So, and my dad was a painter, so I grew up with a paintbrush in my hand, which is, people don't really know about me, but, like, that's what I thought I would do. You know, I was learning how to paint from him, but I was so into music. I mean, I just was like, I don't really care about painting. What I really care about is this Led Zeppelin record, or this Janis Joplin record, or this Bill Monroe record. I was into all kinds of music but at a very, very young age. Now having kids that are age 10, it's crazy to me to think about the encyclopedic knowledge I had of music at their age. It was vast. <laughs> so I was really obviously into the blues, being close to Memphis. Um, and my dad painted a lot of the like blues posters and things like that. So I was around a lot of blues musicians. And a lot of times those bands would have three, it would be a three piece. It'd be like guitar, uh, bass, and drums. So I was always enamored with the bass player, the sound of the bass, and I uh, asked him, I, I said, well, and he asked me uh, what I wanted to learn, and I said, I really want that low thing, that bass thing. Well, my dad was, you know, I was obviously a painter, not not, not raking in the dough. Um, he went to the pawn shop and couldn't afford the bass and the amp, so that's when he came home with a Yamaha guitar, which I still have, acoustic. Do you still have it? I still so, have it. And do you... It's just it's just terrible. It's a bad guitar. You know, it's just I'll never sell it, but it's not, you know, it needs a lot of help. But um, that was like such a like change in the direction right there. I could have brought home a guitar. Well, because if I if I had gotten that bass, then I would have had to be in a band because, I mean, you can't play. Yeah, well, you got to have a drummer. Yeah. 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 Um, And this is pre figuring out I could sing. So pretty soon after (laughs) that guitar was hard to play. You know, I had like a love-hate relationship with the guitar the first couple of years. It hurts people, all the people out there listening that play guitar, you know what I'm saying. It it literally hurts like for the first couple of months and you've got to keep playing until your calluses get strong and thick. But um, I put it down, pick it back up, put it down, you know, and probably during that time I was like, singing sure would be a lot easier, you know, playing piano. Um, so I started tinkering around with piano and, uh, singing, obviously. When, when did you get, like, a really good guitar? I got my first real guitar when I moved here, and I was 21, and it's a 1976 Guild. Oh, wow. I think I saw you playing this yeah, recently on your Instagram. Yeah, I love my Guild. Right? Were you playing this recently? I might have. Oh. I, every now and then I bring it out, but that was my first, like, real guitar. Um, but yeah, I was going to be a bass player. Wait, but was there a guitar between the Yamaha no. and the Guild? No, so I mean, there was... you played that until you were, like, 21 years old? Yeah, I mean, it was... No, I didn't have any other guitars. I might have borrowed guitars or something, but I remember getting, you know, saving up money to get that guild. Wow. Yeah. And did you have other friends who were into music also? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was in college, I was a, you know, part-time student playing in band. I mean, I, I literally... I might have looked like I was a full-time college student, but I wasn't. I was literally leaving class and going driving straight to Nashville um I I treated that like my job 
like who's playing tonight at the Bluebird? Who's going? Who's playing third in Lindsley? Twelfth and Porter, exit in. Um, who who can I meet? I I hate college. I can still not figure out a major, and I've been here for four years. I absolutely can't do anything else. I've been in bands my whole life because I was in so many bluegrass band, blues band, R&B band. I was doing all that after classes. You were a social worker major. I was a social work major, but I was like playing in a 12-piece horn band at night, you know. So I knew the writing was on the wall. Sounds like you know my bio pretty well, but one of my fourth year, one of the professors pulled me aside after class and said, said, you got to get out of here. You need to quit. (laughs) Would you are you are you gonna make your kids go to college if or like what do you what are you gonna do here? I'll be honest, it's gonna be hard because me and my husband neither have college degrees. Yeah, and you know we've we're living our dream jobs. So I'm more about work ethic um, and passion. So like if you've got those, if you can be a good human and you're passionate about what you do and you work really hard, like you have my blessing. And so I have kids that all want to do different things, and but we're instilling that in them. And it, if that means college, then you have to do that. But no, I'm obviously not one to talk about that diploma. Are they good students? Like if they if they're not studying, will you like crack the whip, or will you or will you be like, ah, eh, if you're practicing guitar, yeah, who cares about the math it's, test? It's or? more like let's just get through the school thing. Yeah, you know, I know it's hard. They're all very creative, as you can imagine. Um, brilliant, so smart. Um, we do a lot more. I worry le- more about experiences for them. Like we're about to go on a trip to Europe. You know, I want them to to see things. Like they they can read about Greek mythology, but I want them. We luckily get to take them to see these things. So it's like they're so curious, and I'm always trying to like help them expound their you know their knowledge. But as far as like letters of grades on a page for me, that's you know obviously not necessarily the most important but i feel like jesse would be a cool mom i mean i'm pretty it's pretty fun around my house like but i i crack the whip on other things big time um a lot of it has to do with manners and um it's the way you treat people and i mean literally the the big test in our house is how do you treat the lady at cracker barrel that's serving our food that's that's what's that is big and i mean how do you talk to somebody how do you how do you finish that job things like that so yeah well, yeah they, that, trust me they 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 have it hard it's just different hard they've got, they've got hard the lady at cracker barrel needs to be that's absolutely the, the, the cracker barrel barrel test mm-hmm. they're gonna know this is big though i wish that uh i i, I wish that you know my parents put it's less not, and that's not just manners like southern manners the way i was raised is to to have those manners but it's more about why those manners it's like not just say yes sir and yes ma'am but why are you showing that respect and what what is their story uh yesterday was or the day before whenever was memorial day and we were driving home from west tennessee and stopped at the cracker barrel and there was a a lady working and she's like there's we're so understaffed like nobody came in today because it's memorial day and i talked a lot about gabby our server and i was like man it's it's a stinks that she's here and all her friends that didn't come in she's having to take the load right so let's treat her because think about how that sucks. She's she's not going to go do anything fun, and just those kind of lessons to me are what's more important. Sorry, this just became a no. That's so true though, right? Yeah, it's like not just yes, mammer, and not just give her a big tip, but like it's that she's here. She showed up. I did this recently. I feel like I'm still learning this lesson. I was at dinner with my parents in Nashville. They were in town visiting, 
and we had this waiter who was so rude to us. Yeah. And he was so rude. And I was like, oh my God, like screw this guy. Like, why is he being so rude? And my mother like showed him so much compassion and like smiled and like cracked a joke and like did a thing. And he changed. And then he like totally changed his demeanor. Yes. I was like, that was magical. Like, Mom. like, why can't I do that? I think I could. I could tap into that, Jesse. But you're right. That is kind of a thing. Yeah. That's it, what. It's those lessons that like, you know, I don't know where that will help them that moment, but hopefully somewhere down the road, you know, that'll be just as good as acing a test, you know? Yeah. Is your house the house that, like, they all the friends come over to? Like, do you have good snacks? Yeah, like, but I want it to be. You, just I'm good working snacks. on that. That's how you yeah. do that. You need to get... It's snacks. It really just comes down to the snacks. It cokes, like, bad food, like, Cheetos, Cokes. Yeah. That, Lots of snacks. Bad snacks. I, you know. No, that that's cereal. Really, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. If you're the healthy house, nobody's... Nobody. Nobody's and coming over. And I have two over. boys, so, I mean, they're already eating me out of the house and home. It's just... No, uh, Costco, you know. Nobody's coming over. My parent, my mother is gluten-free, dairy-free. <laughs> she has lots of allergies. So our our snacks were horrible right. growing up. And no, nobody wanted to come over. No. I would, I'd go to other Yeah, I'm trying houses. to. I want to be the fun house. There's definitely a lot of musical instruments you could play. That's big. That's big. That's big. Yeah. Really big. Um, we're running out of time here. Oh, um, no. there We have so much else to cover. What have we left out here? First of all, the song Daddy's Old Number by Cole Swindell. Oh, man. That's got to be one of my favorite Jesse Alexander songs also. That song's incredible. And I feel like that song, like, was like a, everyone was talking about it, and then it was, like, did really well. But then, like, I don't know, like, people moved on too quickly, I yeah. think. Like, oh, that song you. was incredible. That's another Chase McGill. Chase McGill. Man, there he is. Um, yeah, that song was just so crazy. Um, got the title of someone I was talking to, a friend of mine I was talking to on the phone that had just lost their dad, and... And uh, he said, it's just so weird, like, just to not be able to call him, like, just the simple phone call. Like, I, who am I supposed to call when I have these questions? And I was telling Chase about that. And, boy, we were just little babies writing that song. We cried and cried, and we wrote it quick. Um, and Cole, we played it for him that night, and he cried, you know. So it, it, we knew it was special to us. I'm just glad to know that it's special to other folks and yeah, thank you. Do you ever see songwriters who you feel like, maybe like, I feel like you can meet a songwriter and you can kind of tell viscerally like the moment you meet them, like if they have it or if they don't have it, especially like when they when they play around, you can kind of tell like this person's in for the right reasons or they're like authentic about songwriting. Do you, do you feel that way? Like, do you, do you have a good visceral, can you tell within like 10, 30 seconds if someone's a songwriter or is it hard to tell? Songwriter or like success, gonna be successful. Succe like a successful songwriter. Yeah, um... I don't know. The meter for me is not It's so much that. It's more like, am I moved? Do I feel anything? Because there's a lot of folks that are huge artists that I that I look at it like, that's just not my thing. You know, it's like not something, doesn't mean they're not going to be successful. It's just like, I'm not going to be a part of that journey probably uh, because I don't necessarily relate or I don't know that I have anything to offer them. Uh, so, but yeah, I feel like I have, like I said, like the Travis moments or um, so many, so many artists. I mean, Miranda Lambert was someone that I was with early on. We were signed to the same record label, and you just knew. I mean, she just, not only did she have such a great um, singing voice, you know, and, and all that, she just, you could tell she's going to work hard. She's going to make it happen. And, um, yeah, she's authentic. I'm really really inspired by authenticity right and drawn to that 
Um, and when that's aligned with what I do already too, that's like the perfect mix. Do you see people get that authentic thing later in life or is it pretty hard to get if, like are there songwriters who've been around a minute at first you're like turned off, but you're like, oh my God, this person's so not authentic. But then they just- But then they tap into it over yeah. time. Is that possible or is it really mm, hard? Maybe, I think it's, I can kind of sniff out pretty soon though, like I said, in terms with me, like, is this something I gel with? And it doesn't always have to be, oh, we were raised the same way. I mean, you know, it could be anything. It's just like, do we have, are we simpatico? Are we compa compatible, really? Um, and that's fun for me. Like, I've gone through phases where I was like, I'm not going to write with girls anymore, you know. Or I don't want to write with, uh, you know, I don't want to write in L.A. anymore. I don't want to write pop songs, whatever. But it's like, really, at the end of the day, you take away those labels. It's like, do I feel anything from that person? Do we have anything that I, can I contribute to them? Can they contribute to me? That's kind of the authenticity I'm looking for. Fair enough, fair enough. Jesse Alexander, thank you so much for coming thank into you. the the studio today. Have yes. we have we left anything out? Have we have we not said anything? Know. We have we've re-signed with Warner Chapel. Yes. This is this is very big. big. Huge. Very big. It's, you know it's full circle. I started there twenty years ago. You started there your yeah, first publishing my deal. My first publishing and deal. And then didn't Jesse Vaughn did yes. you hire her to be like a writer yes. manager or yes like what, 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 what she was in college right correct and did you and what what were you doing hiring and, her to manage your career it seems well, a little risky it's, it's it's funny it's like i had not had a, a writer manager yet i'd had you know publishers that would do um you know you can, can't ask your publisher to send someone your bio every time you know i was getting to the point where i started playing all these shows and they would be like, gosh, I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. I only have a publisher. So I was playing a gig at Cheekwood, and um, I was selling CDs. And, I mean, as quick as I could rap, take the wrapper off and sign them, I was giving them away. I mean, it was just so fast. I'm trying to exchange money. And um, I felt someone take a big batch of these CDs and start unwrapping them for me and hand them to me. Oh, my God, it was Jesse. And I'm like, I look over, and I'm like, who is this angel, you know, that is – and she's like, my name's Jesse. And I'm like, well, my name's Jesse. And she's like, I know, with an I, and I'm with an I. And we just had this moment. I was like, do you need a job? And um, that was it, the unwrapping of the CDs. You need an assistant more than a manager. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I just need help. And she's just so bright, so smart. And um, yeah, so she was still in college. And I was like, I've never done this, but can we work on an internship or any? Like, how do I work with you? So yeah, we got her, her for, gave her her first job. And um so it's so cool to have watched her kind of star rise throughout through Warner Chapel and now get to work together. Yeah, partner. she's unbelievable. Yeah. So cool. So um, yeah, there you go. So I'm back to Warner Chapel, which is where I started 20 years ago in the same building, and it's very exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming in. This has been such a pleasure. Have we, have we said it all? Have we left anything out? I don't know. Just, yeah. This is Johnny, it, it, could, the Johnny Depp trial. The Johnny Depp trial. We need the, uh, I mean, the week, uh, we could keep going. You're a great interviewer, so thank you so much thank for Thank you so much. Me.